Um, we're taking six weeks total off of our study through the Gospel of John, and, and we're, we're looking at who we believe God has called us to be as a church. Uh, if you've missed some of, our, some of our time, here's the basic rundown, okay? Our mission is to, as you see on this canvas here, you'll see it up here, is to inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. That's our mission as a church. We exist to inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. And the way we believe that can happen is by every person experiencing what we call the four L's. Liberate, love, link, and launch. Okay, two weeks. So we, we talked about a mission statement week one, the, and then the next four weeks we were going one L at a time. So two weeks ago we talked about liberate. What we said was it all starts, it's all founded by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. We are liberated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By, by the work of Christ on the cross, we are set free. We can be set free from the power of sin and the wages of sin, and we can be compelled, we can be set free to love God linked together in community, and be launched into the world with the love of Christ. Okay, It all starts with liberate. We said that's the starting line, but it's also the fuel that makes us go. It's what defines us, and it's what drives us. And then last week, we talked about what it means to love God. And if you, if you missed it, basically what we said is to love God, it means we basically we worship God, we, we glorify God. We, we said very clearly from the scriptures that uh, God put all things into being for the glory of his name, okay, for the praise of his glorious grace, Ephesians 1 says. We love to think, it's a very popular idea to think that God exists for us, first and foremost, that we are the central focus of who he is and what he does. That's just not the reality, is it? The scriptures are very clear that God exists for the praise of his glory, first and foremost. God doesn't exist for us, we exist for God, so when we are liberated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are then set free to live for that which we were created, namely to glorify our creator. Um, so we said last week, as clearly as we possibly could, that we exist first and foremost for the glory of God. It's not about, you know, the numbers, how many people we got in our seats. It's not about, um, you know, a pastor. It's not about a building. It's not about a program. It's most definitely not about the curtains and the lights and the music stands and the chairs and the guitars and the rest of it. We said, these are the things of future garage sales and junkyards, right? Everything you see up here will one day in a hundred years will be in a dump somewhere, Right? It, we said last week, in a hundred years, in fact, Twin Oaks Church as a 501c3 nonprofit organization won't even be around, most likely. I can almost guarantee you, we won't even exist as a nonprofit organization. Okay? Not only that, most people won't even know that we ever existed in the first place. Right? And what we said was, that's okay, because we're not the point. Tw- the name Twin Oaks Church is not the point. These guitars and these microphones and the rest is not the point. God is the point. We don't glorify these things. We give the glory to God. He is what lasts, what is eternal. We, we exist for the glory of his name and his kingdom. We are striving for the glory of his name, not for the glory of our name or a building or a pastor or a program or anything else. We are, we are liberated by the gospel, and that sets us free to live for that which we were created, to love and to glorify God. Today we move on to our next L. We are linked together in community. We're linked together in community. And this is, this is great news, guys, because we all long for true and authentic community, don't we? We all long to give 
and receive love within relationships, don't we? Um, it's how we're wired. And, and if this is the case, if this is how we're wired, then, then one would think, one might assume, that the era in which we live uh, uh, is, is the best, it's a great era to live in because uh, connectivity, the ability to connect, is so much easier today than it's ever been throughout history. Of course, the, the, the premium example of this is Facebook, right? Facebook, they boast that, that more than 1.3 billion users visit their site at least once a month. Isn't that crazy? Over 1.3 billion users are visiting their site once a month. Uh, technology has enabled us to be more connected, more informed, more social than at any other time in human history. But I don't think I need to tell you that connectivity doesn't equal community, does it? Sociol, if you, if you stu- I mean, all kinds of studies have been done. It's fascinating and very sad, actually. But sociologists will tell you that although we are more connected than we have ever been in history, we are also more alone and unknown than at any other time in recorded history. Um, one, one author put it that we relate without relationships. We are all together while all alone. Isn't that, isn't that the case? There's all kinds of factors, of course, that play into this. There's all kinds of things that, that lend to this reality. Um, I think one of the primary reasons that most of our community, though, is shallow is because it's built on temporary foundations. Most relationships don't last because they're built on a foundation that is inevitably going to change over time. When, when the common bond changes, our relationships change. So, for example, if you play softball with a group of guys, right, and nothing deeper than your love for softball you know, is, is binding you together, then most likely your, commu- your community together is going to disappear as soon as you blow out your knee and you can't play any longer, right? If our relationships are not built on anything deeper than sports or working at the same company or having kids in the same activities, then they're almost always going to change or at least weaken whenever the common bond is no longer there. Community is only as strong as what it is built upon. And as we've said repeatedly throughout this series, we're going to continue to say it, um, what our church is built upon, what our church is founded on, the common bond of this church is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and nothing is as strong as the gospel. Um, here is the common bond that, that we share at this church. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. We are, we are all guilty. Our, our efforts at righteousness are like filthy rags to a holy God. We, we stand condemned. Yet we believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth and, and, and he uh, lived and he died that we might be ransomed and rescued through his righteousness, through his obedience, through his death, we are ransomed and rescued. That's our common bond. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is something that will never, ever change. And let me tell you a couple of reasons why this is, again, great news. Number one, because this is our common bond, this means that everybody is welcome here. This means that all are welcome. If if the common bond is that we are sinners in need of grace, if you fit that description, and I guarantee you do, you are welcome here. That's great news. All are welcome. Number two, though, if, if our common bond is built upon the premise that we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God and are in need of Christ's righteousness to make us righteous and Christ's cleanliness to make us clean, Christ's purity to make us pure, then listen, there is no need to try and hide who we are anymore. Isn't that so freeing? There's no need for false pretense to try to be, pretend that we're something that we're not. Is we no longer have to pretend like we have it all together. You don't. 
I don't. None of us do. That's why we're here. That's the common bond, is we are sinners in need of grace. This is a place where we can finally, finally just be known for who we really are. The good and the bad. The beautiful and the ugly. The strong and the weak. We can finally be known, and we can finally find that love and support and encouragement and accountability that we all need to press on. You see the beauty? We're just, we're just beginning to scratch the surface of, of the beauty of Christian community. Um, my hope today is that as we, as we dive into this uh, a little bit deeper, that we would all be reminded, most of you, most of you are aware of this, but we would all be reminded um, that Christian community... Christian fellowship is yet another benefit that we've received from the grace of God. It's, it's yet another aspect of the grace of God. Christian fellowship, Christian community is not just some legalistic obligation that we have somehow tacked onto the Christian religion sometime over the last 2,000 years. The Bible tells us that over and over, he, the Bible tells us over and over and over that because of the work of Christ, not only... Not only are we, you know, forgiven from our sins and the, and the power of sins is, is, is removed, not only do we have a personal relationship with God, not only do, are we born again into that living hope that, you know, we know that, that we're going to, you know, have eternal uh, salvation with, with, with God, but in addition to that, that we are born again into the community of faith. We are born again into the family of God. The Bible is going to tell us that it's all part of the same package. Being born again into the new family of God is every bit as much of a gift acquired for us by the blood of Jesus as our eternal security. Paul tells us in Ephesians that Jesus gave himself up for the church. Luke tells us in Acts that he he bought the church with his own blood. The church is something that that Christ died for. and some might say, and I've heard people say this, that, well, that, you know, that's a universal church. He's just saying that, you know, we became a part of, you know, the brothers and sisters across the planet, across time. That's the universal church. I don't need the local church. I've got the universal church. I would contest to, and I have, to, to those who have shared with me that in the past, I don't think that's a biblical um, perspective. Um, the universal church and the local church are not mutually exclusive um, in fact, the majority of the New Testament books were either written to local churches or about local churches. Let me show you. The, the book of Acts alone was, is a historical look, is a historical narrative of the work of God in specific local communities. Uh, namely, Jerusalem, Antioch, Cyprus, Anconium, Lystra, Pamphylia, Macedonia, Thyatira, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Caesarea, Ephesus, Troas, Malta, and Rome. This is, it's, a, it's a historical narrative of God's work in those specific local communities. Think, think about how many of the New Testament books were actually written to local church fellowships, local church bodies. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Even the book of Revelation has the context of, of, of being letters to local churches. Why do we mention all this? Well, it's important that we see that God's intention was that we not only enjoy membership, connection to the universal church, but that we enjoy membership within local church fellowships, local church communities. What I, what I hope is that we, that we see today is that local church fellowship is a gift because, this is my thesis, you ready for it? It is within the context of community, gospel-centered community, that we are able to enjoy loving relationships, experience deeper fellowship with God, and employ our gifts. I'm going to say it again. 
It's within the context of gospel-centered community that we are able to enjoy loving relationships, experience deeper fellowship with the Lord, and employ our gifts. And to, I want to explore each of these three areas in the remainder of our time. Uh, and to do that, what I'd like to do is I want to use actually three metaphors that the Scriptures give us uh, illustrating the Christian community, you know, kind of giving us a picture of the Christian community. We're told that the church is the family of God, the temple of the Spirit, and the body of Christ. The family of God, the temple of the Spirit, and the body of Christ. So let's look first. Uh, it's, it's within the context of gospel-centered community that we are able to enjoy Loving relationships. And, and the picture that I want to help us see today uh, it, that, that illustrates this well is that we are now a part of the family of God. I think this is really significant because there is no other earthly relationship uh, where we can enjoy such sweet and such deep and such meaningful, loving relationships as the family that, that, we're, that we were born into and the family you know, that we marry into and so on. Is, is that not the case? There's no other earthly relationship beyond our family where we, where we have the potential to experience such deep and meaningful relationships. Um, it doesn't always happen, mind you. I know, you. I know we got some different experiences here, but the potential for those deep and meaningful relationships come from the family. Now, uh, that's why I think it is so significant that, that, that we are adopted into the family of God. You see the potential that's there? Ephesians 3 says that, that we, we share the same father. Um, uh, uh, it's uh, Hebrews 2 that says, we share an elder brother. Who's that? Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're part of the household of God. We're part of the, the family of God. In fact, God has been working through families since the beginning of time. Um, families are kind of a big deal to God. We, we, we see that all the way back at the Garden of Eden, and I think it's worth actually taking a look at that family. Um, Timothy Savage, who's a, who's a pastor, he wrote a, a little booklet on the church. I, I like the way he said this. He said, The drama of the sixth day of creation never ceases to amaze us. It was then that God fashioned his magnum opus, a human being, and bequeathed to him a magnificent garden paradise. The new creature apparently lacked for nothing. He was the beneficiary of a priceless bounty from the hand of a loving creator. Yet, surprisingly, there was a deficiency. Something was, quote-unquote, not good. The solitary man lacked a helper, someone who corresponded to him. As things were, Adam was unable to fulfill his purpose in creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 tells us that man was created to bear the image of God, to manifest the likeness of his maker. Therefore, he constructed humanity as a family with interpersonal relationships. God himself is a family of triune relations, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, if man were to manifest the divine image, he must live in relationship with others. He needs a family. Okay? So we, we see the implications, right? Living in isolation. If you have chosen and said, I, I, I choose to kind of keep everybody at arm's length, I, I choose to live in isolation. God says it is not good. It's very clear, isn't it? It is not good. Living in isolation makes it impossible to bear the image of God. It, it's as simple as that. that. That that begs the question, though, what does it mean to bear the image of God? Does it just be around people? Um, just have people around you? Um, I don't think so. In fact, rabbis for centuries, rabbis who were studying the Torah for centuries, argued and debated over what does it mean to, uh, to reflect the image of God? Um, and then comes along a guy named Paul. And in Philippians chapter 2, this is what he writes. He says, Jesus was in the form of God. Okay, and by the way, that's, 
basically synonymous with saying was basically the image of God. All right? He is the image of God. That's what it says in Colossians as well. Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One author who commented on this said, from the unspeakable riches of equality with God to the most impoverished death. From heights unsearchable to depths unimaginable. From one polar extreme to another. This is the measure of the self-emptying death of Jesus Christ. It's history's most perfect expression of sacrificial, self-giving love. And according to Paul, it's also the clearest expression. It's the clearest revelation of what it means to bear the image of God. And then he tells us, he says... That's what you are to do. He says you are to have that same mind, have that same attitude among yourself. So, so take that understanding, what Paul says in Philippians 2, bring it back to Genesis. For Adam and Eve to bear the image of God, they were to live in relationship with one another and to show, to demonstrate the same self-giving love that you and I have seen in Christ. You st- are you still with me? We've kind of gone a few different places. We're putting something together here. For Adam and Eve to bear the image of God, as it says in Genesis 1.26, they are to live in relationship with one another and to show the same self-giving love that you and I have seen in Christ. That, that was their mandate. How did that work out? Not too hot, right? We know the story. Genesis 3, right? I, I, instead of being self-giving, what were they? Self-grasping. Instead of being self-giving, they were self-grasping. We even see the verbiage in Genesis 3. The woman saw the tree and she took the fruit. And then she gave it to her husband. Instead of seeking the glory of God, they sought their own glory. Instead of being self-giving, they were self-seeking. Instead of being God-centered, they were self-centered. And we're told that when, when that happened, something broke, didn't it? Something broke. We can see it in the way that they responded afterwards. Instead of running to God, what did they do? They ran away from God and they hid. And when God confronted them in their sin... How did they respond? Remember how Adam responded? He said, the woman you gave me made me do it. They turned on uh, each other. Because of our sin, our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with one another is broken. Relationships fell apart. They are fractured. God very easily, very understandably, could have washed his hands and walked away. But he didn't, did he? Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He broke the bonds of sin by being the first and only human ever to pass his entire life without grasping for his own glory, even to the point of submitting willingly to death, even death on a cross. Jesus destroyed the power and the penalty of sin. And look, here's where it comes around. John Uh, The apostle tells us, to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children of God is creating a new family. The, The family that was broken when Adam and Eve sinned has been remade. That's what the church is. That's what this community of faith is. It's a people made by him, for him, bearing the image of God, marked with self giving love. That's what we are. It's this new family that has been remade. Adam and Eve broke it. God has remade it. 1 John chapter 4 says it like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever 
whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But what does that look like? We can talk about it. We can talk about love. We can talk about self-giving love. But what is biblical love supposed to, to look like? How does it manifest itself? Let's get practical. Okay? Well, if we wanted to see what love is supposed to look like, what's the chapter in the Bible that we should go to? Exactly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's, we've actually dubbed it the love chapter, right? Um, we've all, you know, by the way, even if this is your first time in church, um, I guarantee you're at least somewhat familiar with 1 Corinthians 13 because it's read all the time at weddings. It's read all the times at funerals. It's used all the time, countless times, by husbands describing their, you know, love for their wife or from parent to a child. But did you know that the original meaning of that chapter, the original purpose of that chapter was to show church members how to relate with one another. If you read 1 Corinthians 13 in context, if you read 12 first and then read 14 after, you read, read 1 Corinthians 13 in context, what you'll see is that Paul is telling the church in Corinth how they are to relate with one another in the church body. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 was written for. That's the original meaning. Imagine what Twin Oaks Church would look like if we fully embodied what Paul laid out here amongst this body. Let me, let me just read to you two verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It's not conceited. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. And does not keep a record of wrongs. This is, again, we can keep going and going and going. This is the kind of self-giving love that you and I were called by God, through his word, to show one another within this family community. In fact, I want to just give you a little challenge this week as we move on to our second point. Maybe sometime this week, as you open up your, as you open up your Bible, sometime when you're quiet times this week, would you be willing to maybe actually open up to 1 Corinthians 13 and spend your, your time right, right there in that one chapter? Would you be willing to just read that chapter slowly and prayerfully? And would you ask God to open your eyes to, to new ways um, that, that, that we can love one another in this church? Would you, would you ask him for the power and the desire to love uh, one another in this church in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us? Do you want to do that? All right, let's, let's, let's keep moving. It's, it's first, it's in the context of the Christian community that we enjoy self-giving, loving relationships. We are the family of God. Secondly, it's in the context of Christian community that we experience a deeper fellowship with the Lord. And uh, uh, to, to look deeper at this, I'm going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter says this, As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay? He said, As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Spiritual house literally means house of the Spirit, right? Or temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? There, there's a lot that's being said right there. 2,000 years ago, when Christianity began to spread like wildfire, there was something that was absolutely unique about this, this new Christian movement. Um, Christians had no temple. 
right? That was utterly unique in that day. Christians had no temple. They had no priests. They had no remaining sacrificial system. Every other major religious system of that day had a temple, right? They, they, they realized that, you know, that, if, if, uh, that there was some separation between their God and, and humanity. If they wanted to go you know, worship Zeus and experience Zeus, they had to go to Zeus's temple, okay? Because God couldn't dwell with man. They recognized there was some kind of separation between God and humanity, so if you wanted to go and experience your God, you'd go to the temple and you would, or, you, or you'd build the temple rather, and then you'd anoint some uh, holy, you know, holy priest who would then help you administer your sacrifices and help you kind of mediate for you to go and experience your God. And, and prior to Jesus, that's the way it was in Christianity too, right? It was, it was, that was the way it was in our faith. Um, there was a designated time, there was a designated place, there was a designated method in which we were to go and worship God and experience him. But what happened when Christ died? The, the, the veil that was in the temple that separated God from humanity was torn in two. We now have access, direct access to God. The Spirit is given freely to all who would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Spirit is given freely to all who believe in his name. Um, we're, we're now told in the New Testament that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's no longer some place that we go to. It is, it's us. We are, we, the Holy Spirit indwells you and I. However, did you know... Um, only one time that the New Testament actually refers to the temple of the Holy Spirit is it actually talking about an individual. Every other time that the New Testament refers to the temple of the Holy Spirit, it is ascribed to the corporate body of believers, the church. So here's my point. Peter, Peter says, you are like living stones being built up into a temple. Can, can I tell you what I think he means by that? I think what he's saying is we don't build any more brick upon brick upon brick to build a temple that we might go to, that we might be able to experience God. If you want to experience God on a deeper and a sweeter level, you place living stone upon living stone upon living stone. You place Christian upon Christian. That's what I think he's saying. One illustration that, that we've used, I think, half a dozen times in two years. It might be a record. Um, and I'll keep using it until you guys you know, help me come up with a better one. His uh, illustration comes from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. Um, C.S. Lewis had, had two really close buddies, right? J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, whose real name was Ronald, and then a guy named Charles, who was also a great author. I think it's Charles Williams. And um, these three were incredibly close, close-knit. Um, one day, unexpectedly, Charles died. And uh, C.S. Lewis writes that, um, you know, he, of course, he was absolutely heartbroken that one of his, his good buddies died. But one of the ways that he tried to console himself, one of the ways that he tried to encourage himself is th- by thinking, well, you know, at least I won't have to share Ronald anymore. You know, at least I'll have more time with, with this friend. At least I'll, maybe I'll have a deeper, more intimate relationship with Ronald now that I don't have to share him with Charles. But what he, what he learned was just the opposite happened. Look, look at what he wrote in The Four Loves. He says, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend, not less, but more, as the number of those with whom we share him increases. See what he's saying? Lewis is saying it, it takes a group to truly know an individual, to, to call that whole man into activity. 
And then he goes on to say that if that's true for the depth and breadth of a human being, how much more true should that be of an infinite God? We need one another. To have a deeper, more full understanding of who God is, we need one another. We are uh, interdependent upon one another. By the way, that's why our mission statement says we, in, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. We follow Jesus through loving relationships. We're interdependent. When you build a temple, to keep with that same metaphor, when you build a temple, you place brick upon brick upon brick. So each brick is, is supporting other bricks above it, all the while being dependent upon the bricks below it. You follow me? Each, each brick within the temple is resting on some bricks, all the while supporting others. This is what we are called to do. We are to be interdependent upon one another. So here's my question. Are you being built into the temple of the Holy Spirit? Um, are you helping others experience a deeper fellowship with God? And do you have others in your life that are helping you to experience a deeper fellowship with the Lord? That's what we're called to do. I think that's what 1 Peter 2 is all about. Are you supporting others and are you allowing yourself to be supported? Um, and the only way that this is going to happen is if you are engaged in real, true, authentic community. And by the way, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Philip, get off our back already. We're at church, right? We're here. Like, you know, you were, you're preaching to the choir. Um, and for most of you, this is just serving as a reminder, okay? For most of you, that is true. I, I, I get it. There are a few of you that have yet to engage, um, you, you're, you're here, and that's great. You, you come to church periodically, and, and, and that's good. But listen, it's not the same. That's not true, genuine, authentic community. Showing up to church and sitting in the back row is not community. That's sitting in a crowd. You can do that anywhere. That's not community. That's sitting in a crowd. Unfortunately, there are many in our day who, have, who, have, who believe who believe that going to church and belonging to a church community are the same thing. They're not the same thing. Going to church is not a biblical idea. Belonging to a a, a church community is a biblical idea. That's what the Bible calls us to. Have you positioned yourself to be in a place where you are known, loved, supported, encouraged, held accountable, Right? Have, have you put yourself in that kind of and are, are you have you put yourself in a position where you can do that for others, where, where you can know others and love them and support them and encourage them and keep them accountable because that's what we've been called to, in the Bible. And by the way, one of the best ways to do that at Twin Oaks, best way we've come up with, is, is through community groups. Um, and you know that you knew where I was going there. Um, if if you if you are ready to, to get engaged, and know our community groups aren't perfect. And I've heard people say, well, you know, I wish mine would go deeper. I, I do too. A couple of things I'd say to that. Number one, that takes time. You realize that that takes time for, for a community group to go deep, okay? It, 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 and, and by the way, I, I would encourage you, if you're part of a community group and you're looking forward to those, those relationships going deeper, may it start with you. Go to your community group this week and be honest and expose yourself and ask for prayer, Okay? Um, the best way for you to experience a community that we're talking about is being part of an intentional gathering of believers 
where you, where you pray for one another and you make yourself known and, and you support one another in, in the areas that you need. Um, if you are interested in joining a community group, um, you do just take your, your Connect cards and write, just simply write community group on the, the lines there on the bottom and then drop it in the offering basket later. By the way, we have 10 or 11 groups that are currently running right now. We need a few more. Um, if you are, if you would be willing to even facilitate a community group, write that on there, okay? Um, you don't need to be a, a teacher. You don't need to know the Bible in and out. All you simply need to do is help rally some people together and start a conversation. That's what, that's what it entails. We, we need, we need some, some community facilitators. So write that on the Connect card. We've got to move on. The Bible calls the church the family of God and the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's, it's in the context of Christian community that we enjoy loving relationships and we experience a deeper fellowship with the Lord. Finally, it is in the context of Christian community that we employ our gifts. We use our gifts. And the, meta, the metaphor that I want to pull out of the scriptures uh, comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So turn there if you've got your Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul tells the, uh, uh, the church in Corinth that they are members of the body of Christ. Uh, Tom Rainier um, wrote a, a really cool little book called I Am a Church Member. Um, and in, the, in that little, that little uh, book, he, he kind of breaks down the misunderstandings of church membership. Uh, he begins the book by talking about the day when he was a boy and a country club opened up in his tiny little rural town, right? So we think country club. For them, it was like they had a restaurant and a pool and I think eventually a nine-hole golf course, right? That was their little country club. But it was a big deal for them in that little town. And his family was middle class and they were able to afford the, the, the small monthly fee. And so he got to go and, you know, during the summers, he lounged at the pool all day and he got to go order, order a burger at this, you know, exclusive restaurant, Right? It was kind of a big deal for them. And he said, he said, I learned a lesson early on. This is what he said. Membership means perks. Membership means privileges. Membership means others will serve me. Just pay the going rate and you can have others taking care of you while you enjoy a life of leisure. Okay? And then he goes on to say this. Tragically, this understanding of membership is what many churchgoers hold. We join the church to see what we can get out of it. The pastor is to feed us through his sermons. The music is to fit our style exactly. The programs and ministries are for our benefit. We will determine what we like and what we don't like. We are members who expect perks, privilege, and service. But what happens when the country club church member is asked to contribute to the work of the church? What happens if a member is asked to serve in the nursery or to lead a Bible study? Well, one country club member may agree to the request out of obligation. She has a legalistic approach to serving. It's not that she wants to do it. I mean, after all, country club church membership isn't about working. It's about being served. But since she has been asked, she begrudgingly accepts and begins the ministry with a bad attitude. She will not last long. Other country club church members just get mad when they're asked. Some may respond that they've done their time in earlier years. They make ministry sound like a prison sentence. (laughs) Yet, Yet others, when asked, get angry at the pastors. After all, that's what we pay you to do. Those pastors are just lazy and trying to get out of work. Amen, right? No, I'm just kidding. But the membership laid out in the Bible is not country club membership. Country club membership is about receiving instead of giving, being served instead of serving, rights instead of responsibilities, and entitlements instead of sacrifices. This wrongful view of membership sees the tithes and offerings as membership dues that entitle members to a never-ending list of privileges and expectations instead of an unconditional cheerful gift to God. 
That's, that's country club church membership. What does biblical church membership look like? Um, and by the way, I, I do know, depending on your, your experience at church, some of, us, some of us cringe at the phrase church membership. We don't have a, a formal church membership here, okay? Some of us cringe at the, the, the term church membership because we think, in our mind, we think, oh, well, that's just, you know, some exclusive club, or we think that's just, you know, the, the, the product of some, you know, modern business, you know, uh, culture that we live in. But church membership in its purest form comes directly from the scriptures. Can I show you? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now, skip into verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Do do you see the difference? Members Members of a church make up the body of Christ. We, we are members of the body of Christ, and we are essential parts of it. If you are a Christian and you are part of this church fellowship, Paul is saying some of you are eyes, some of you are ears, some of you are feet, some of you are hands. We are all different, but we are all essential, necessary parts of the whole. Okay? Listen, with country club church membership, you pay others to do the work for you. With church member, biblical church membership, everybody's got a role to play. That's what Paul's saying. Everybody's got a role to play. And by the way, there are a couple of things worth noting here. I love, I love how this you know, exalts diversity. I love how this like praises diversity. I, I think it's our natural instinct to try to find people that are just like us to have fellowship with, isn't it, right? Birds of a feather flock together, right? We want people just like us, people with, you know, who think like we do and who have the same passions that we do and have the same preferences and the backgrounds and the personalities that we do. But Paul says, but imagine, what, what if everybody were just a hand? How would we walk? Right? How would, how would we taste? How would we see? If, if everybody wore an eye, how could we touch? How could we smell? The fact that we are all so different is a great thing. The problems come when hands tell feet to stop acting like feet and to start acting like hands. That's when the problems come. The problem comes when the eye starts looking down on the nose. You get the pun? No one? I'm going to say it again. That's really good. The problem comes when the eye looks down on the nose. I was really proud of that one this week. <laughs> yeah. Number two. Okay, that, that's, one, that's one benefit. Number two. For our body to function properly, it, the, the individual members of the body need to be operating in what they were designed to do and, and how they were gifted. And by the way, I do feel weird uh, preaching this message because, as I've mentioned, uh, many, many, many within our church are engaged in, in this church community. Did, did you realize, um, I love this, uh, that like 85% of the families that call Twin Oaks home, 85% of our families 
at least one of the, the, the members of that family are serving at least once a month in this church. 85%. That's unheard of. That's unbelievable. Okay? Um, I, I understand that, that, in essence, I am preaching to the choir. Right? I, I'm not just... I want you to I'm not just, though, talking to the 15% here that have yet to engage. Because even those of you among the 85%, there may be some of you in here today that, that have maybe in the past, you, you, you've seen a certain need in our church and God bless you, you've jumped in to fill it. Even though it's a, it's a job for a foot and you're a hand, you've jumped in and you filled that, that spot. God bless you for that. That's great for a time. Like I said, my second point, for our body to function properly, the individual members need to be operating what they were designed to do. Again, you, you, you've, you've jumped in to a specific season because you saw a certain area of need and you didn't want to see the church lacking and so you've jumped in and you tried to fill that need. God bless you for it. May that just be for a season. Because I think what the Bible teaches here is that God organizes, this is the, this is the wording, God organizes the members of the body that we would function in the way that we were designed and gifted to do so. Some of you are feet and you are trying to act as hands. And again, God bless you, but you know, you're just trying to meet the needs of the church. Um, but God has gifted you and wired you in a certain way, and I believe that he wants to um, activate these in you. He wants you to, to employ your specific giftings. It's important that we know where we are gifted and that we begin to employ those gifts, activate those gifts. Maybe you don't even know where you're gifted. Maybe you have even no idea. I don't know where I'd be. I don't know how I'm wired. I don't know what would be the right thing for me to get involved in. A good way to figure that out is to ask those around you. Ask your spouse. Hey, where, where are my gifts? Where are my strengths? Where do you see that I just light up? Where, where do you see that I'm, what do you see that I'm passionate about? Where do you think that I would serve well? Um, ask your kids. Ask Kids, ask your folks. Um, it's important that we begin to, to operate within our specific giftings. And again, if you would like to talk more about it, or maybe you would want to take a second look at where you're currently serving, or maybe you want to begin serving for the first time, what I'd encourage you to do is take those Connect cards and just write serve on there, and then, and then drop that in the, in the basket when the uh, offering gets passed later. That being said, we do need to wrap up. Um, it's within the context of Christian community that we enjoy loving relationships, we experience a deeper fellowship with the Lord, and we employ our unique gifts. We are the family of God, we are the temple of the Spirit, we are the body of Christ. We're linked together in community. My hope is that you see the gift, the great gift that God has given to us in our church. Um, let me finish our time with one final statement, one final quote. This is one of my favorite quotes on the gift and the necessity of the church. This came from the mouth of Charles Spurgeon. This is what he said. He said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church until I had found, them, found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I would have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I'd become a member of it. Still, Imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it's right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty. But that's no excuse for you not joining it, if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners, 
and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and the guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It's the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family.